Hello, and welcome to Informed, a podcast series where you will hear industry experts share their thought-provoking insights and lessons in the field of medical communications. This series is brought to you by ISMAP and is generously sponsored by MedThink SciComm. The views expressed in this recording are those of the individuals and not necessarily of ISMAP or of the individuals companies with which they are affiliated. The presentation is for informational purposes only and is not intended as legal or regulatory advice. Today, we will be chatting more about ChatGPT and generative AI. This podcast is picking up where we left off from a recently held webinar on this same subject, where we received a lot of engagement and a lot of questions from the attendees. What we hope to do today is to pick up where we left off and based on those questions, go into depth in a few more areas. Um, I'm going to start off with some introductions. I'd like to introduce you to our esteemed panel. I will hand it off first to James Turnbull. Hi, uh, my name is James Turnbull. So I'm the founder of a company called Camino, which is a newly launched agency. Uh, I've worked in digital healthcare for about 15 years now. Um, so today I'm bringing my experience of having a degree in computer science of working in technology, but also working in the medcoms industry and bringing those two things together. And Jennifer Gith. Hi, Jen Webster and James. It's so good to have you both here and to join you. I'm the Omnichannel Strategy and Innovations Lead for Global Scientific Communications at Pfizer, and I work in oncology. My role is to develop uh, big, new, innovative ideas and scale them up in our oncology franchise, as well as ensure they're executed with impact in the context of our Omnichannel Strategies. I work in social media, closed platforms, and I have a special interest in artificial intelligence and large language models as well as patient centricity initiatives. I've been in the industry for almost five years and in medcom for over 15 years before that. And that's all I'll admit to before you start to date me too much. <laughs> but I'm, I'm really passionate about what we do. I think this is a very interesting time. And I'm very much looking forward to our discussion today. Great. And I am Jen Webster. I will be your MC for today. I am a real-world evidence scientist at Pfizer, along with Jenny Gift. In addition to the more statistically driven real-world evidence work that I do, I have a, a deep interest in AI and how we can use AI to extract insights, um, both from things like real-world data, but also from the literature. So I'm thrilled to be here today. Let's start it off. So just as a reminder for our audience, uh, James, can you tell us what is ChatGPT? Okay, uh, so let's start at the beginning. It's a currently free website, chats.openai.com, where what you do is you chat with what's called a large language model. So the company, OpenAI, have created this language model, essentially, which is kind of the latest in a series of developments um, in their GPT series. That's Generative Pre-Trained Transformer. Scientific term for they've basically scraped billions of bits of text off the internet put that all together and modeled that in a, a computer program, in an algorithm. So what that means is by feeding it with such a huge amount of text, it is able to not understand, but be able to draw correlations between the pieces of text and therefore what a logical order of how they go together is. And that understanding of text leads it to, to have the ability to also generate text. And that's the interesting bit, is that it is able to produce human-sounding language from this massive amounts of data scraped off the internet. There's kind of two layers that go on top of that. There's what they call the reinforcement learning with human feedback, which is essentially the model will output a bunch of potential ways of talking 
And then real humans have scored those as this sounds more human as opposed to this thing. And that's why it's so good at sounding human, because it's been trained by humans in that sounds weird, that sounds real. And then the kind of next layer on top of that is they have a safety layer, which stops it from outputting all the kind of awful biased things that you would get from scraping all the content of the internet. So all the kind of dark recesses of Reddit are kept to bay by that safety layer that they put on top. But ultimately, it's a really good autocomplete. It's not intelligent, it's just a great way of autocompleting text. So if you give it once upon, it will look at its huge database of text and go, statistically, the next word is a, and then statistically, the next word is time, and so on and so on. But I think, crucially, it's not a database of information. It's not a knowledge model, it's a language model. So the background is its ability to generate text, which is based on text that's read from the internet, that doesn't mean it really outputs truth. OpenAI themselves say, uh, ChatGPT sometimes writes plausible sounding, but incorrect or nonsensical answers. And obviously there's been many examples we've seen on the internet of some crazy and wild outlandish things that is generated. Indeed. I think that point you made about it sounding human is so is so important. I know that's probably the part that impacted me the most when I first saw it. On that note, uh, Jenny, do you want to talk a little bit about why this has become such a hot topic? Why is this an inflection point for these large language models? Oh, gosh, Jen. So great question. It had over a million users in less than five days when it, when it launched at the end of November of last year. That's faster, way faster, in fact, than Instagram, Facebook, Netflix, some of the other platforms that are used um, broad, by the broader public. So it's, it's really been very interesting. You know, you watch uh, the news outlets and you see these captivated reporters also using it. And it's been reported in, in the New York Times and CNN, et cetera, as well. But to answer your question, why? I think it's been percolating for a while. You know, there are a number of large language models that have been worked on for a very long time, quite a few, in fact. And so this isn't new information. And we've also seen the image generators and the and Dolly 2 caused a lot of excitement. And you see those avatars online as well. But I think we're having a moment because there's a lot of interest amongst the public in science right now. There's a change in how we're consuming information through social media as well that's making information more accessible. So all of this has kind of come to a head, if you will, um, because the timing has been right. And even since ChatGPT, it's, it's also triggered a lot of competition. We could call it an arms race, but I don't, those combative things are a little <laughs> difficult. But but it, it struck a chord with, with Google, right? And search engine work, and they have their own language model. And they launched BARD via YouTube, right? A little while ago. So everyone's also trying to capitalize on this time. And I think as folks who are working in science, we have an opportunity to provide a clear point of view on what we think about ChatGPT and to build from our learnings um, through data viz with the pandemic, but also even through real world evidence, Jen, because there are a lot of parallels in what we're seeing in terms of potential for evidence generation there. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, you know, I think you framing this as kind of us as scientists is so important in this time when when everybody's so concerned with what does the science really say and how do we really know what's true? I'm actually, Jenny, I'm going to hand it back to you and ask if you could, and this is starting to get now into some of the, the questions that we heard over and over in our webinar, but if you could, could talk a little bit um, sort of in the area of disclosure, use and trust, should we really, should we be disclosing our use of chat GPT as we're working as scientists? When should we disclose it? Should it be an author? Right? There's all 
all of these questions right now, but what do you do when you use ChatGPT to generate your work? And could you talk a little bit about, you know, how do we really maintain our trust in each other and the public's trust in us as, as scientists in our communication as we start working with this new tool set? So great questions because we're also part of ISMAP and we're working on scientific publications, which are in many ways the currency of how we communicate our science too. So I think that what may be reassuring to people is that basic principles still apply. So we have ICMJE criteria for authorship, and that requires substantial contributions to the conception of design of the work, to participating in drafting of the work, to final approval of the version that's published, as well as agreement to be accountable. And even if you ask ChatGPT itself, which I encourage you guys to try out, it will tell you that it is a source for information, but it is not necessarily appropriate for it to be listed as an author. Now, all that being said, there are, to my knowledge, four current publications that have actually listed ChatGPT as an author. And all this hit right at about the time the the model was capturing the public's attention. And I think that, um, you know, it, it would be interesting to hear a bit more about from the authors themselves, how that occurred and the process and um, how the editors felt comfortable with that. Because I think journals and societies are really trying to move with the environment and update their policies and, and also do so in a transparent way for the public so that the contributions are acknowledged and understood if we do use ChatGPT. So that's a lot of information, but again, basic rules apply. And I would also just add too that OpenAI and other groups are developing classifiers. And what's a classifier in this instance? This is a way for us to tag or be aware that text is generated by AI. So right now, there's still a lot of work to do in that field and the classifiers, they're working to improve their accuracy. But I think that that is promising in terms of transparency and for the public and, and for us all to be aware of what is being generated by AI versus what's not. It's great. To add to that, Jenny, I think um, I completely agree that authorship isn't going to really make sense in terms of assigning authorship to chat GPT. I don't think that will ever make sense until we get to some very distant future where we do have general artificial intelligence, which this isn't. But I think acknowledgement is actually really important. So yes, I acknowledge okay. that I used a model such as this. But um, I actually read a paper just today um, about a study where people were using chat GPT to write an apology. And then they did an experiment to see how that apology was received. And mm -hmm. unsurprisingly, an apology delivered with, I used AI to help me write this, was not taken so well. It was seemed as, you know, well, I don't really believe you're apologizing then. I've had job applications already where people put at the bottom of the job application, I did not use chat GPT to write this. So I think there's also the opposite effect now we may find of people acknowledging that they haven't used it to infer some sort of human quality on, I produced this, I didn't use someone else to write this, some tool to write this. Very interesting. You gave us a nice overview, and this is a bit of a philosophical question for you, James, but you gave us a nice overview on, on how ChatGPT actually works. I think one of the big controversies about these large language models generally was when a Google engineer came out and claimed that their model was was sentient. Can you talk a little bit about really what can these models do? They can pass certain exams. They're sort of scored at the level of a nine-year-old. Like, How do you put all of that into context? Yeah, I mean, th th that person was ultimately fired by Google for what they said. 
and the AI they were using uh, was not sentient, but it was very good at appearing so. We have the test, the Turing test, which is the kind of classical is AI sentient test. Some people say ChatGPT is past that because it can pass off as human. Some people will be forgiven for thinking they're talking to a human. But in the in the spirit of that test, it is not intelligent. It's just very good at outputting words. That's great. Now I'm going to go from the philosophical to the very pragmatic. One of the biggest questions that we got asked, Jenny, I'm going to pose to you. Should we just blindly trust and input data into these models? Are they storing our data? What happens if we use these these models to help us do our work? Is that kept confidential or do we need to, to worry about that? It's a very important philosophical and ethical question. Again, though, basic rules apply. So we all work with confidential data um, on a regular basis in in many of our our jobs in the day-to-day. And the same rules apply in terms of sharing of that data that apply in other instances. The other thing to be aware of is that ChatGPT only uses data through 2021. And if you're using the publicly accessible part of JetGPT, your queries are actually being used to train it further, which is a good thing and that the AI is improving, but it also does mean that your queries are in the system. So I think that it's important to be conscious as, as with any tools that we use when we're inputting our data of the technology um, and the privacy considerations that come into play. And if you're in doubt, Right. I encourage you to speak with your governance and your legal colleague, really just phone a friend, right, and make sure you truly understand what you're working with. And I think that's really a part of upskilling and understanding these new systems. And look, it's a daunting task. There's a lot going on out there. We all are very busy in our day to day. Um, but this is something that is um, worth understanding and learning about. And again, talking with your cross-functional colleagues to really understand what you need to know in order to use this system. That's great. One more really pragmatic question this time, James, for you. Could you talk us through some tips and tricks for writing prompts? What new skill sets are we all going to have to develop as we as we start using these models? Yeah, it has a name. Prompt engineering is a, it's a new skill set. And I reckon it's going to be a new job title in not a very short space of time. Um, but certainly working with chat GPT, there's already examples and nuances about how to get the best out of it. I mean, I think the first thing is like how you give it instruction. Um, you can either say, give me something, you know, write me a recipe for beans on toast. Um, or you can ask it to complete something. You know, that example, like I said, once upon a, I find it quite useful. I'm writing an email, like, what's the next words? Stick it in there, it'll finish the sentence for you. It's that kind of completion. And then the third one is the demonstration or what's called like few shots learning, which is essentially where you say, given this structure, uh, for example, question, answer, question, answer, question, answer, I'll give you a question and then you can continue the answers. You're giving it a little bit of extra learning by demonstrating the kind of output that you want. So those are the kind of three ways in which you can make your requests. But then once you get into that, you can also, quite often it will just stop mid-sentence, either because it hits a buffer or because it confuses itself and says, I've had it say kind of there's, uh, there was two people, thingy, thingy, and, and then it gets confused because that sentence no longer works. So when it gets kind of at that stopped point, you can just say, please continue, go on, and it'll resume. You can try and enforce a little bit of um, truthfulness by just saying, if you don't know, say I don't know, which 
doesn't work all the time. It will still produce some quite nonsensical words, but it limits it a bit more by just enforcing that on top of it. But the way a way that a lot of people are using it is in a, a more um, actor sort of approach. So you say, I want you to act as this sort of person. I will give you my job application and you will then respond to me as if you were the recruiter at a large pharma company. And by giving it that context, it gives you much better responses because you've created an environment in which it will uh, respond with the appropriate kind of words. Um, so yeah, I will, you will works very well. And then lastly, it's weird because as a computer program, you'd expect it to be very good at maths. It's actually terrible at maths. If you're trying to do kind of step-by-step -step maths equations. So the classic things like there's 14 cars in the car park and half of them are BMWs and half of them are blue. How many were green? That sort of stuff. ChatGTP is terrible at answering those sorts of maths questions if you give it the whole question. But a paper found that if you just say, let's think step-by-step, and then do the question, it will give you a much more accurate answer because by saying, let's think step by step, it will step through the process and go, well, there's this many cars and there's that many color and therefore the answer is X. Apparently it goes up from an 18% accuracy rate in maths, which is rubbish, to 79%, which is probably better than me. <laughs> um, so yeah, a few keywords, I'm sure more will come out over the next few weeks as people use and use and use these models and find these nuances. I think that's great. We are nearing the end of our time here. So I'm going to um, set us up to close here by having us all go around and talk about what's the thing you're most excited about using these models for now, and then I will close us out. So James, I'm going to hand it back to you and then Jenny, and then I'll finish this up. So I saw something on Twitter. Um, a guy called Kevin Cannon posted this on Twitter. And it's a scenario where somebody writes, I want a job, here's my resume, Brian. And they stick that into ChatGPT and it outputs salutations and greetings, most esteemed star, I am filled with exuberance and zeal, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera, right? And then the recruiter takes that message and puts it back into ChatGPT and gets out, Brian wants a job, here's his PDF. If you take that and kind of, you know, extrapolate to the future, is we've all got this integrated into our email and nobody's seeing the email in the middle process. Do we bother writing that? To take it to you know, our world in terms of communicating science, and I don't know if this will happen, but in a future where everybody's using these sorts of tools, all our audiences, you know, your specialist oncologists, your patients, your everybody in between, if they're all using large language models to parse the science that we're generating, do we end up writing for the large language models? Do we then change the way we communicate science because we're just communicating with this model to then communicate to the person on the other side? I don't know. I think it's an interesting thought. James and Jen, I'll jump right in. I think there's just a diversification of knowledge and of the science. And I think that that's wonderful. And having patients be able to ask questions of these systems is really important for them. So I, I look forward to seeing more of that and seeing it done in a responsible and ethical way. But I also look forward to the days of, of the other models and seeing the improvements that are going to happen and very fast. So Bing has launched its own integration of GPT-3 into Microsoft, and they've got a wait list for having access to it. But it's the, the, what it spits out to you is reference. So I think we're going to see improvements that will be very helpful. I look forward to understanding the abilities uh, for more personalized searches because the literature is expanding so exponentially and being able to find those rare signals in the literature that we all look for and try and monitor for. Um, I look forward to living guidelines 
living systematic literature review documents, using this technology, using it to help us generate hypotheses. But really, truly, what I think is the most fun right now is that it's bringing the community together, folks like us, um, bridging conversation between the AI experts, publications teams, medcoms professionals, metafairs, industry. I think that is very exciting. And we're going to learn a lot about how to talk to each other, how to learn from each other in the coming months as well. That's great. I'm going to agree with a version of that. ChatGPT is already a very good coder for certain mm-hmm. things in my qu- corner of the world. There's a real world evidence data standard that we use called OMOP. And you can ask ChatGPT to write you OMOP code to, to answer specific evidence generation questions. And so I think there's going to be a ton of changes about the way that we can transparently and quickly generate evidence using real world data. I have this dream of a day when we can actually just put a whole protocol into one of these models and it spits out a perfectly executed study. We are obviously very far from that, but I think uh, that might be one of the keys to ever really getting to, to true precision medicine, right? Right, right drug, right patient, right time um, is being able to do evidence generation on that scale. So with that, I'm going to thank you both so much for being here and close us out for today. Thanks, Jen. Thanks, Jenny. Thanks, guys. Be well. Thanks for your time, everyone. And we encourage you to also access and view the recordings of the original chat GPT webinar and also the plain language GPT webinar at ismap.org under the education tab. Thank you for listening to Informed for Medical Communication Professionals. Please take a minute to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app, inform your colleagues, and rate our show highly if you liked what you heard today. We hope you will also join us at an upcoming ISMAPU webinar or even consider becoming a member of our association. Just go to ismap.org, that is I-S-M-P-P.org, to learn more. I'm Jen Webster.